Welcome to the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast, where every two weeks we explore all the aspects of the weight loss surgery journey. We'll hear from a range of experts, including bariatric surgeons, psychologists, patients, and dietitians, sharing up-to-date, informative advice to help fast-track your long-term weight loss success. Welcome back, team, to the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast. Today, I've got with me Glenn McIntosh from Weight Management Psychology in Brisbane. Welcome, Glenn. Thanks so much for having me, Jackie. My pleasure. Thanks for coming along. Now, others might recognize you from such places as The Biggest Loser. What else have you been up to in recent years? Uh, in recent years, I've been uh, very busy building the practice. So um, we all, all, the psychologists at Weight Management Psychology, there's seven of us now, right. and we all specialize in eating, uh, physical activity, weight, and body image. So that's a, a full-time job in and of itself. Uh, mm. But uh, I'm a pretty hard worker, so I've also uh, just finished writing a book called Thin oh, really? Sanity. Yep. Thin Sanity, yes. Thin that's Sanity. Been very popular with our BN Multi customers as well. Can you tell us a little bit about what's in the book? Yeah, absolutely. So it's called Thin Sanity and the idea of Thin Sanity is that, you know, this constant craziness we have around always wanting to be thinner, always wanting to be thinner, but then also the fact that most of the things we do to try and get thinner don't actually work very well. So it's about doing something different and finding a new way forward. And of course, I think mindset's a huge, huge part of that. Yes, absolutely. And that brings me to what we're here for today. Yeah. Um, so talking with you about mindset and bariatric surgery, mm-hmm. um, relationship with food and just um, sort of delving into what that comprises of. Um, I guess my first question is, how can individuals best support themselves along this journey um, where a new relationship with food and self is often what needs to be established? Yeah, I, and I actually think, Jackie, you, you said it really well. It's a new relationship with food and also a new relationship with yourself because we know that this is you know far more than just a physical change in your body that happens post-bariatric surgery. Um, mm. And I think the first thing I want to do is give a plug to the psychologists and the dietitians out there. I think that you know, bariatric surgery, of course, as as you know, is the most effective way to lose a significant amount of weight and to keep it off, but it's not a silver bullet. You know, it's not a cure-all, it's a tool and mm. and and the people to, to help you learn how to use that tool are the, the dietitian to help you learn to have that new relationship with food and I think that probably less recognised the psychologist to help you navigate the, the mental barriers around that. I sort of think of it like the surgeon gives you the tool and the dietitian and the psychologist often working together yeah. help you wield that tool. Absolutely. And do you see that that is a combination that is common? Do you, are you experiencing, you know, um, a team of people are assisting patients after surgery and do you think that's um, something or do you think it's something we could be focusing on and encouraging in other ways? I think it is, um, I think that we have known, I mean, my opinion is, and I'll just say it, I think good surgeons know the importance of the dietitian 
there's there's probably very few what I would call good surgeons out there that don't really um, suggest to clients that they form a relationship with their dietitian. And what I sort of suggest to, to, to anybody that, that I'm working with is at least the first year post-surgery and, and fairly regularly. And I think that that people are starting to realize the importance of the psychology. So we are fortunately starting to get bariatric surgeons and the dietitians wor- working with them and also the, the, the patients themselves uh, starting to realize that there is a missing piece to the puzzle. And, and often I think that this is a, you know, I think weight loss is a team sport and it, mm. and it happens when, when everyone's working together. I firmly believe that because as you know, that there, there are rates of, you know, there is a lot of, you know, uh, there is some really good research to show that people lose a lot of weight with bariatric surgery and it is better than diet and exercise in terms of keeping the weight off. But we do see those, that sort of two to five year mark, people starting to, to regain weight, people reversing some of the physical and psychological benefits they're getting. And then unfortunately, down the track, looking at revision surgeries. And, mm. and I think that a lot of that um, is is not due to the surgeons. The surgeons are doing their job with the plumbing and the pipe work. Absolutely. It's due to the, the mindset and the behaviour to, to, to really make the most out of the surgery. Yes, I just, uh, we see that where we come in with um, supplementation. Is it, It's around that two, two to two and a half year mark that right. if things have started to slip by the wayside as far as nutrition and guidance and support and actually getting in on a psychological level and changing those underpinnings of belief systems and patterns we are getting that's when we see people coming back with malnutrition and um you know different things they then need to manage that are impacting on their health because of that whole it's a it's a big picture view isn't it looking at a multifaceted approach to actually bringing um, new habits to the fore and yep. I think and I'm a strong believer in that what you're doing the psychological intervention is probably the key yeah I think it's it's so it's so so important um, because and, and I think it's it's really important to work on those things not wait till you're at the two or the two and a half year mark and mm. you're struggling with weight regain and or problems of malnutrition but to, to actually work on them as you're going and this is where I think we you know that the fast weight loss that you get with surgery is a bit of a, a blessing and a curse yeah. you know the blessing is that that it's very motivating you can get some quick changes and the curse is that sometimes we can almost uh, fall into that trap of thinking well I'm losing weight so I don't necessarily have to work on getting more activity in or I don't have necessarily have to, to work on taking my vitamins or yeah. getting my protein and, 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 and I really think that, that what we recommend with our, our people, even if we're seeing them pre-surgery, we sort of suggest they form a relationship with us and the dietitian and work on what what I call the the one percenters. Mm. So what I kind of mean by that is these things that they might not make a huge difference to your weight loss every week or every month, but they will make a big difference over time. You know, if you're in that that, that first six months, say, post-surgery, you're going to probably lose a lot of weight no matter what you do. Mm. But if you're struggling with certain habits or certain mindsets, so some of the things that we find is that, that people struggle with motivation to change or sometimes even 
confidence that they can change long term. You know, they've struggled with their weight for so long. They're kind of hoping that the, the surgery will be the answer, but then also not sure that it, that they can actually achieve long term success. Or if they're struggling with things like emotional eating, or you know, because obviously emotional eating is going to to probably emotional eating is not something that surgery will necessarily fix. I like to say mm. that, that surgery fixes your stomach, but it doesn't fix your head. Yes. And, and, and so if you're still doing something like emotional eating or you know emotional drinking, then you're going to find that you're either going to get less weight loss or you're, you're going to, um, to try and find ways to kind of circumvent the, like your your tool, whether you've got a band or a sleeve or a bypass, you're going to find ways to get around it and mm. sort of sabotage your own progress. Um, or uh, if you if you're just n- not emotionally eating because your your procedure won't let you, then you you if you haven't learned new ways to cut sort of deal with your feelings, then you you're sort of stuck with those feelings and you don't know what to do with them. So it can actually cause some. Um, mental health complications Mm, absolutely so all of these things things like dealing with social support um, you know some people have people that support them and and some people that kind of sabotage them or get in the way or finding the time to care for yourself you know we've all got busy lives and 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 all of these things that that are um, I think these things are things that we like to work on, just those little one percenters. And if we keep on working on them in the first year, 18 months, two years post-surgery, what we get is a a bigger weight loss, which everyone really, really likes. Mm. But like you say, when you, you talk about, um, you know, you're experiencing people a couple of years, two, two and a half years after, we, we not only get a bigger weight loss, but we get a healthier weight loss. And then because you've actually created not only some new habits, but some new mindsets around those habits. So you really, everything's working in the, the same direction. You, 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 you know, you've got new habits, but you're feeling good about those new habits. You may be even enjoying them so they can just become part of your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Then we're really on the right track and on, on the right track to maintain those changes and really make the surgery the everything you would hope it to be, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Would you agree I see the first year as a bit of a honeymoon period? Um, Weight loss is coming easily. Everyone's motivated. It's all new. They're getting the external input that, um, you know, comments from friends, neighbours, whoever, you know, you're losing weight, you're looking great. Mm -hmm. And a year down the track, it seems that that sort of external motivation starts to dissipate. Would you agree that that's a time when um, support and this whole sort of um, approach to that multifaceted um, change is the key? Yeah, I think that there's, you know, for different people, they're going to struggle at different times. Some people, it's like right after surgery, if you've had mm. a complication or something like that. But for, for most people, I think I haven't thought, thought of it that way, but I think honeymoon period is a really good way to describe it. You can sort of... Uh, you almost get lulled into a false sense of security, and of course, the the weight loss at that stage is very, very motivating. But mm. uh, if and when you reach or come close to your, your weight goals, then uh, that can be very um, 
there can be a big sense of relief and a sense of pride and accomplishment that comes with that. But then the weight goal is kind of gone. So mm. it's not going to continue to motivate you. And that's when I think your mindsets and your habits really keep you going. And, and, and so I think if you've obviously, Jackie, got lots of different people listening to this. And I think yeah. plan A is to continue to work with, firstly, your surgeon um, and the, the doc, specialist doctors um, associated with your surgery, but then also your dietitian and your psych to try and prevent this. But yeah. plan B is wherever you are, is if you're struggling, come back in and connect with health professionals. Yeah, don't leave it too long and, you know, try and guess at new ways. I think I see that quite a little bit. People are sort of asking others for advice, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. But also it's so individual, I think, that if you're reaching out and then just trying this and trying that without really understanding that foundational cause, um, you could fast track it so much uh, more easily, um, I think, and and confront it head on when you've got the right guidance and and, um, psychology and uh, the dietitian are kind of the best approach for that, I would say. I think so. I think that, you know, um, I just did a presentation to ANSMOS, the bariatric surgery convention around uh, social media and bariatric yeah. surgery and um, and definitely you like we from the research we can tell what you know because I know you've got a, a big Facebook group is that it can be so uh, so encouraging and it can be such a supportive community but I, I also agree with you that that nothing takes the the place of one-to-one advice from an expert mm. uh, talking to you about where you are and helping you find a way that is that is right for you. And the other thing I would say to that is that if, if you've got good health professionals, which you should, if you don't, you need to go and find some. But yeah. but if you've got good health professionals, if you're struggling, they're not there to judge you. Like I have this sometimes with my clients come in and they've been struggling and they say, oh, I don't want to go back and see my surgeon because I'm not doing well or I don't want to see the dietitian." And I'm really fortunate that I work with great bariatric dietitians and great, uh, great surgeons. And I know these guys and I think they're wonderful people. Yeah. They're lovely people. They're not here to judge you. They're here to support. So if you are feeling a bit guilty or embarrassed or ashamed, reach out because we, uh, and you know this, Jackie's a health professional, we're dealing with people who are struggling with this all the time. We know how hard it can be. And knowing, I also think, is that it's not, you're not the only one. Absolutely. Um, And I think that taking that step and reaching out really does then confirm and help you to feel um, more supported, but also to understand that you're not the only one. This is, uh, this is a huge area uh, for good reason. Um, and getting the right care. I think we're also brought up in a world where we react. We wait till things are broken and then we try and fix them. Yeah. And that's the medical model in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we really have to take, take our thinking to a different platform where we are uh, responding before it's critical yeah. and working all the time and looking at different ways of, you know, supporting ourselves, which is often a very foreign sensation for many people is putting themselves first. Absolutely. Um, so I completely agree. I think that sometimes I think of, um, 
and we get this like you know our team we've got seven psychologists they're all lovely I've, mm. I put them all on because they're lovely they're all part of the team because they're great but people do get very nervous about seeing them sometimes at the start and they they do think that I think especially psychology is that you only go and see psychologists in a very reactive way you only go and see them when there is a big problem and I like to think of I kind of think of your psychology sessions or you think of your psychologist like um like a mechanic you know a mechanic you can come in when your car is completely broken down, like that's a perfectly good time to come into a mechanic. Uh, But you can also come into a mechanic just for regular tune-ups. Absolutely. To prevent everything. And and even if you want to, you can go into your mechanic for performance enhancement and say, hey, everything's (laughs) working great here, but I just want this to run a little bit better. So how do we do that? So it's really any stage of the game. You don't have to wait until all the wheels have fallen off to, to come in. Absolutely. And to, yeah, to know that that's the best place for support is important as well. 100%. So um, apart from actually seeing the dietitian and psychologist, yep. um, what else do you recommend for um, patients who are moving forward through the journey? Yeah, I think, of course, being a psychologist, I would say that one thing we, we often miss out is managing any mental health conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, we do know that people who have depression tend not to do as well after surgery in terms of they don't tend to lose as much weight and they don't tend to, um, to get the, as many, um, they find it harder to change their behaviors. So if you have, um, depression or anxiety or another mental health condition, we always recommend that you, um, that you treat that as best you can as you're going through the surgery, because of course those things are really, they change your life. If you, you get good treatment and you address Mm. them well. So it's important in and of itself, but we actually recommend that people treat those mental health conditions so they can get the most out of surgery. Right. So, so that's you. You are actually that if we can treat depression or manage problems that are going on in your life, um, or or make sure that you're managing any mental health conditions that you have, you're not. Only, that's obviously great for you. So we, you know, we want to be doing that anyway. But it will also mean that you're going to get better results better result from your surgery. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. That's interesting. And um, are there any other aspects you look at um, as far as either preparing? for the surgery or you know in the longer term uh, aftercare things like emotional eating yeah um, emotional eating is a huge one there are a lot of those those one percenters so we kind of will talk with the person and we'll figure out what of those one percenters might be a problem for you and mm -hmm. then we navigate them as we go but emotional eating is something that we we really really look out for it's emotional eating is actually if we take somebody before surgery so they haven't yet had surgery someone who is an emotional eater um, it's the biggest sign that they're going to struggle post-surgery it's related to post-surgery binging it's related to less weight loss it's related to a higher weight of regain and it's related to um, how do I say this 
we know that in general, people who get bariatric surgery, it's actually really, really good for their mental well-being in general. But mm. emotional eaters don't get as many mental health benefits uh, from the surgery because, right. of course, emotional eating keeps you locked in a struggle with your food even after you've um, even after you've had the surgery because it tends to be one of those things that uh, emotional uh, that surgery won't fix. Right. So if you're an emotional eater, you you re- we really say to people, you really want to work on that individually because if you don't, you're either going to try and cheat your surgery, yeah, or if you you've got a lot of willpower and you don't cheat your surgery, you still haven't learned new ways to deal with your feelings. So you 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 might actually be losing weight and you might be getting all of that reinforcement from people and even your health professionals, but you might actually end up feeling worse because you haven't learned new ways to to deal with your emotions. And that's where you can you know even run the risk of doing things like turning to other ways to manage yeah. your feelings, like drinking or substances of addiction or other ways. To to cope that don't necessarily help us so well in the long term. And I guess that's where you come in is looking at constructive ways to channel that energy and the coping of different situations that trigger that emotional response. 100%, 100% because emotional eating, the way that I think most psychologists would see it, certainly the way that I see it, is not actually an issue with food. Food is just the symptom it's just the 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 unhelpful coping mechanism that you're using the actual problem is that we we haven't learned ways to deal with the unpleasant emotions that we're experiencing whether that's fear or sadness or anger or loneliness or stress or all of those unpleasant mm. feelings so absolutely that's um that's definitely what a psychologist would help you do is help you identify well what am i feeling at the time um, because sometimes that's a, a really hard first yeah. step for us to actually figure it out. Um, uh, but then, then really looking at new ways that we can manage those feelings. And I guess you need to find tools to preempt when you know something's coming up that can be a trigger. It's up to um, that um, patient-practitioner relationship to work through those and give tools to help with foreseeing these situations and okay so this is coming up and yep. what other, what do I normally do and what might I do absolutely um, and so I think replacing I think I don't think we can just take something out without replacing it because totally. we always revert so it's learning to put something yep. positive in that place of absolutely I call them more marvelous to methods to manage your moods wow and, I love the sound of that yeah, and the, the cool thing is Jackie we uh, when we talk about preempting situations and learning these more marvelous methods to manage your moods, it's the good news is that most of us only have a handful of situations that give us these unpleasant feelings, mm. uh, but they just repeat themselves over and over again. So the good news is that when you you know you uh, talk with your therapist or you find out your own way of dealing with these feelings, then once you've done that, every time you get into that situation, you now have a template for Mm. how you're going to manage it. So you don't have to really come up with new things for every single situation. You probably only have a handful and you have to learn how to deal with those. Um, And then over time, of course, you do that enough 
these more marvelous methods to manage your moods end up becoming just second nature. They become they the become habit. who you yeah. are and what you do. Yeah, and I, yeah, that's the key, isn't it? Of all of this is bought. This whole process is bringing a patient to implementing a tool, which is the surgery, and then all of these different methodologies of trying to work out the the new way we do things and. Um, that comes from surrounding yourself with good care as well as good guidance but also who you're associating with outside of that friends family that sort of thing and surrounding yourself with that kind of positive input yeah absolutely absolutely I did um my research in um for my master's in psycho social factors and weight loss so how your mindset and how your social situation affects your weight loss and what i found actually it sort of confirmed prior research to suggest that about 30 percent of your your weight loss results are not due to um, your starting weight or due to how healthy or how old you are but about 30 percent of your outcomes are just due to the influence of other people around you. So I think that is really, really important. Like you say, to get the professional support around you, but then also to manage the other influences in your life, your your work colleagues, mm. your friends, your family, and really enlist their support and, and really make sure that you're protecting yourself from any sabotage. And then also... Um, I suppose, navigating the changes in relationships that often Mm. happen post-surgery. And that we will save for another podcast coming up shortly. We'll discuss in depth the relationships and the changes that may we may or may not see after bariatric surgery, but ways of managing all of those um, influences and, and I guess coming together as the best version of ourselves as we can with 30% being the influence. It's a massive part of life that um, plays a key role, isn't it? Huge part of it. I was trying to keep my master's research uh, simple and just wow. to study the mindset <laughs> stuff. And and I, the more studies I'm reading, the more I'm like, I can't actually study someone's mindset mm. without and, and ignore all the people around them. It just doesn't actually make sense. So that's why yeah. I sort of broaden my study to include your own headspace, but then also how the people around you either help or hinder. So it's yeah. just it's just such a big part of it. It sounds that I can't wait for that one. We'll do that one in the next couple of weeks, and I look yeah, forward to that. Me too. So, Glenn, do you have any other parting pearls of wisdom you want to share with us before we wrap it up? I do, and there is obviously a lot to this because I think we've had mm. a really good discussion on the importance of psychology and also on um, on emotional eating. But I just wouldn't mind um, just giving everybody almost a little template and this don't expect yourself to be perfect at this because this does take a bit of um, a bit of working through um, but just a little um, almost a template for what they can do if they're feeling emotional eating urges mm-hmm. and and what I would do is I would just suggest to you that if you are you know we emotionally eat in a million different situations uh, for a trillion combinations of emotions but really, all emotional eating boils down to is one of three things. It's we've got some unpleasant feelings that we're looking to resolve through food. We've got some unmet wants or needs 
that we're trying to meet through food mm. or it can be a sign that something needs changing in our lives. So what I would do is just suggest that if you're finding that pull to eat when you're not actually hungry, when your body is satisfied, ask yourself, is this about food or is this about mood? And if there is a feeling you need to resolve, there'll probably be better ways that you can learn to resolve it. Because let's face it, emotional Mm. eating doesn't actually work that well. It doesn't make us feel a lot better. We might feel temporarily yeah, better. The, outcome, for the... the long-term outcome's not awesome, is it? Yeah, and often <laughs> it's, I think, I call emotional eating um, double dipping on a bad mood because it's like <laughs> often you, 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 you have this temporary relief, but then you have your old unpleasant feelings come back Say you're stressed, you eat, you're calm for five, ten minutes, then you you go back to being as stressed as you were, but now you have a side order of guilt or shame yes, or frustration absolutely. with yourself. So so I think that I would just encourage people to not not expect themselves to be perfect at it, but if you're finding you're getting these emotional eating pulls, ask yourself, is this about food or is this about mood? You might find that you can find a new way to deal with your feelings. You can find a new way to have your needs met or you you can use that as an opportunity to notice that something actually needs to change in your life and the, mm. the, the cool power is there that you start to learn more effective ways to deal with your food, your, your feelings, more effective ways to, um, to, to change the things that need to change in your life and get your wants and needs met. And a lot of people come to me wanting to work on emotional eating, but they end up once you're more in tune with your feelings, you know how to solve problems better and get your wants and needs met, you actually end up changing your life in even more profound ways. So I don't yeah. want to just talked a lot, so I don't want to overwhelm everyone, but I, I think that there's a real opportunity there and I would just encourage people to just have a play with that idea. I think there's some opportunity there for a deeper and richer experience, isn't there? It's not mm. always an easy road. Um, but I think the outcomes and the um, the way we manage ourselves and what we gain out of that it's um it's certainly a richer way of living life and certainly um, much calmer. <laughs> I I couldn't agree with you more. There's so mm. much rich information in our emotions, and when we don't stuff them down with food or ignore them, we can actually use them as guides to help us uh, create a. a better life than we ever expected so Mm. absolutely i couldn't agree with you more i think we don't know what we don't know sometimes 100 percent. glenn thank you so much for your time and glenn is the author of thin sanity which has been a popular walking off the shelf book from our uh, website at bmulti.com so So, uh, we're totally happy to support it and it's just been a pleasure to spend some time with you and i've We've got another one that we'll do soon, so we'll hold on to that and discuss more about the our relationship changes and um, relationships with self and others after bariatric surgery in our next get-together, Glenn. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Jackie. Thanks I've so really much. had a great time. Thank you very much for your time. See you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening. And just before you go, we would love to hear your feedback. So please give us a rating and review. For other interesting topics of conversation and inspiration, come and drop into our Facebook community at BN Bariatric. If you've enjoyed our podcast, we hope you will share on your Facebook or Instagram and hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode.